Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 245. We're going to be interviewing Alex today. How you doing, Alex? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you ready to do this? Excited to uh, dive in here? Yeah, it's the uh, first time I've kind of done anything like this, I guess. But yeah. Well, it's the first time for everything, right? You got to expand your horizons. Yep. So yeah, like we were talking about before, my first question to you is, tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Um, I grew up in a, you know, your regular suburban family. Um, I'm one of three kids. I'm the middle kid. Um, I got an older brother and a younger sister. Um, my mom was an addict. Um, and it was gone on for many years. And what was she addicted to? Um, painkillers, um, was her DOC. Um, and I was so young that I, I mean, and a lot of it was, um, I guess kind of pushed into the closet, if you will. And, um, so it wasn't really talked about, um, until I got old enough to talk about it, but, um, yeah, cause I guess, I mean, since I was born, um, she didn't use it during my pregnancy or her pregnancy with me, I should say. Um, but since I was born, I guess is she, had been addicted to painkillers and um, caused a ton of stress on the family. And do you know how it started? Was she prescribed them or? Yeah. So as she was younger, um, I'm not certain what age it was at. Um, She was struck by a snowmobile and um, she had internal bleeding and they had to perform surgery. And so back then, um, she had to be cut from the sternum down to like the waistline and then cut all the way across to um get, what it get you know whatever repaired and stop the bleeding and everything like that so they prescribed painkillers after that um and i believe that's how she the whole spiral started so, it sucks. It's so it's so many people. That's how it starts. It starts off as an innocent thing. Doctor says, take a few of these. You'll be okay. And next thing you know, it's downhill. Right. And growing up, I always told myself, you know, I will never do drugs um, because of my mom. And I mean, to this day, I've never m- messed with drugs. I, um, I mean, I, you know, I've smoked pot maybe a handful of times. Um, and that's, that's it. I've taken prescriptions as needed, uh, cause I've had surgeries myself, but, um, alcohol was my vice. How old were you when you first realized that your mom had a problem? Um, it was, I was 10 when she passed away. So, um, I didn't really know, to be honest, I just, you know, thought mom was sick and the mom and dad weren't, you know, in love with each other, essentially, or, you know, there was some bigger problems that I just didn't understand. How was your social life growing up? How was school and things like that? So, um, it's <clears throat> kind of interesting. Um, cause there's, so like I said, I grew up in a normal suburban area and I went from getting like you know elementary school is fine and um 
I was in third grade, I think, um, when my mom passed away. Um, and that's kind of when I saw the trend or uh, looking back now, I see it. Um, the trend where I started struggling in school. Um, you know, I was a tr- little bit of a troublemaker, but, you know, nothing too serious. And um, my grades were, you know, I was C, D, and F student. And then um, years later, my mom or my dad met my stepmom and we moved to a different area and a new school and everything like that. And I maintained a B honor roll all through high school. So it was just a complete 180 degree turn. And it was, I'm a firm believer in environment um, that, you know, if you are unhappy or struggling with stuff, I'm not saying to run from your problems or run to, you know, move halfway across the country or anything if you're struggling with stuff, but um, surrounding yourself with better people or a better crowd that had a big impact on it. So it was well, just... they say when you're leaving rehab, you know, the first thing that you got to change are people, places, and things. So obviously the people part, absolutely 120% true. Because I, I believe, like you said, I'm a firm believer in the environment and you are who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And for myself is there is a ton of people that I had to cut out of my life and or distance myself from. But there are, uh, I would say, you know, like a little nucleus of friends that um, I still am friends with today because they are supportive of my recovery. And um, they, you know, they'll ask me, you know, if hey, are you okay if I have something to drink? You know, if we're out at a restaurant or something like that. And um, or they just won't even ask at all and they won't even order anything and stuff like that. So it's it's awesome that they respect my recovery that much to just know that that's dangerous. So when were you first introduced to alcohol? Uh, I was 19 years old when I, I mean, I didn't really try alcohol until I was 19 and um, that's the first time I got drunk too. Um, I, How it did it make for, you feel? Um. It felt awesome. Um, I was relaxed and at ease and I just felt like I didn't have a care in the world. And, um, you know, I was, um, I came out of my shell a little bit. Um, Growing up, I had ADHD and I had always been medicated. And so after high school, I decided to take my stuff off of those because it made me feel kind of like a zombie and just really reserved. And I knew that wasn't my true colors. And so I stopped taking those. And um, so not being on those and then adding alcohol to the mix was kind of the perfect mixture to get my social life started. Along with the partying too. Do you remember what your first drink was? What kind of alcohol? Yeah, it was um stuff that would be absolute uh gut rot um it was uv blue and monster what's that um uv uv blue vodka and then monster energy drinks okay monster energy drinks i've never heard of uv vodka 
Yeah, it's it's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap, disgusting stuff. Yeah. But yeah, and then that's kind of when the the partying and the um, you know, chasing girls and just being a twenty something year old kind of started. So what happened? So you graduated high school. Yep, and then once you graduated, once I graduated, I attended community college for a semester during the summer um, because my parents were, you know, said either you're gonna go to you're gonna go to college this summer or you're gonna get a second job, and I didn't want to work a second job now that I wish I had. But um, I attended for a semester and I failed. And I was just like, college isn't for me. Um, And I just, I wish I would have tried to stick it out and do it again. But at the same time, I I don't. Um, But yeah, after that, I um, moved out on my own when I was 19 and started to rent a basement from somebody. And then um, after that, it just was trying to find my way in the world. And I bounced around and um, just just honestly trying to find my way. So tell me about the progression of your alcoholism. So like I said, the um, my first drink was at 19. Um, and I just kind of went through the partying phase uh, through my early 20s. Um, I still wasn't really heavily involved with alcohol until I was probably 22. Um, and that's kind of when I started, you know, hitting it hard. Um, but it was still more of a social thing. And um, as the years went on, I would say year 25 um, was kind of when it started to grab hold of me where I was drinking more at home. And it was as soon as I would, you know, cause I would have alcohol in the house and as soon as I would empty a bottle or a case of beer or whatever it was, I would, you know, stock up. So I would always have, have something in the house, but, um, and it progressively changed into, you know, drinking when I get home from work and right away and drinking through the night and then going to sleep. And it was every weekend and then it was sporadic throughout the week and the weekend. And then eventually before I knew it, it was every single day. And then it was when I'd get off of work, when I'd get up in the morning and then, um, soon enough, I, I wasn't even able to function throughout the day without, you know, putting alcohol in my system, um, to ward off the hangover, the come down or the withdrawals eventually. And, um, that's kind of when I knew I had a problem is when I started to hide it from people and play it down and just, it became bigger than me way quicker than I thought it would ever and that's when I realized, you know, I need some help. And I went through some uh, pretty rough relationships and that revolved around drinking. And so it just added to the mixture. And I, you know, it was, it was super toxic. 
and abusive. And so, I mean, ultimately it just led to more drinking. And on top of my alcoholism, I had got injured at work. Um, I want to say it was around 2019, 2020. Um, yeah, 2019, 2018, actually. And um, I had to be, I had to have surgery on my ankle and be off my leg. So between the pain and boredom is really what elevated drinking and the frequency of it as well. Um, I was, you know, drinking at home, watching TV, movies, playing video games, things like that. Cause I just, I couldn't go anywhere. I, I had to be off my leg for 12 weeks. Um, so by the end of that 12 weeks, you know, I was drinking half a bottle of whiskey, like every other day and, um, or a bottle of whiskey in a weekend. And, um, that was when I just needed to get my hands on whatever I could when I could um and try to maintain a job and um ultimately I ended up getting fired because I couldn't hold down a job I couldn't show up on time you know they could probably smell it on me but um I didn't you know I was just played it off like oh I'm really tired and you know but I ended up you know drinking on the job and you know I could have severely hurt somebody um but I got to the point where I got so depressed um, from my drinking and the relationship that I was in. Um, I just wasn't happy and I couldn't afford my bills. And it's just, it's a very dark path. Um, and I started to isolate myself um, a lot. And I had moved to a... Um, urban area it was uh the west side of saint paul and um i'm not a city person at all um stresses me out um i'm just one of those people that prefer a majority of peace and quiet um and not the hustle and bustle of a city and so it was just heightened anxiety and i was on alert all the time and it just paranoia and I just, I thought it was going to be a good change, but it was the polar opposite. So I just locked myself in my, my duplex and, um, just drank and drank and drank. Um, and I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't, you know, uh, I was so down on myself and didn't know what to do. Cause I didn't ever think I was going to get to this point. And there was a point where, I started to isolate myself so much that some of my good friends and um, my buddy and his wife um, had, they were trying to reach out to me and I had mentioned and passing to a few people that, you know, I need help, but I wasn't, I mean, I was serious, but I wasn't taking the initiative to do anything about it. And um, they came knocking on my door because I wasn't answering any phone calls or text messages. And um, I was laying in my bed and I just, I heard someone at my door. I didn't even move. Um, and they came in and they were, they were crying. They thought they were going to find me dead. Um, and that was kind of my first wake up call 
um, besides the physical ailments that I was dealing with from the alcohol. Um, like I had mentioned, you know, the withdrawals and just being sick. And um, shortly after that, I got a, a notice on my door, a pounding on my door. And, you know, it was, I was facing eviction. Um, I had nowhere to go. Um, and the landlord allowed me to write a or sign a termination of my lease versus getting evicted. And um, that day I actually, um, he's like, you need to get out and like today and I had nowhere to go. I didn't, you know, I packed up a few things and threw it in my truck and I actually drove myself to treatment that day. And that was the first step that I took towards recovery, actually. So how was treatment? <clears throat> well, actually, real quick, before that, what was your use like? How much were you actually drinking? Um, so to put a rough estimate measurement on it, it was, I was probably drinking a um, 175 or like a handle of whatever I could get my hands on um, every two days. So it was quite a lot. So almost yeah. a liter a day. Yeah, I was there myself. It was something like that too. Is it enough to drink all day? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's terrifying actually. And um, speaking of terrifying, treatment was um, at first because um, you know it's I had known nothing about it. Um, I, you know, didn't know what the process was, how, you know, what kind of environment most of the time things are. And besides what's, you know, portrayed on TV or social media and things like that. And um, it was, uh, it was very humbling and um, not humiliating, but um, it made me more I said like I said more humble um because I was to the point where I thought I'd never be um and once I kind of got the swing of things and you know it was almost like going to school and figuring out you know the clicks of people and you know some of the nice guys to talk to the people you can hang out with, you know, some of the people you just say hi to and the, some, some of the guys you just stay clear of. And, um, so it was, I was in treatment for 32 days, I think. And, um, I ended up going to sober housing after that and did outpatient. And I was sober for about six months before I relapsed. And, um, that was due to false, you know, false confidence. And I had met one of my ex-girlfriends at that time. And, um, I thought, and I was like, I've made it six months, you know, I can handle a drink here or there. And that was the farthest thing from the truth. And, um, so then I was, you know, staying over at her house and you know that was how I was getting away with drinking because you'd have to pass UAs at the sober living and um 
after that, um, we ended up moving in together and I just kind of said, screw it with recovery. Cause I still didn't know a lot about it. Um, and so then my drinking started kicking back up and it was almost back to square one again. It wasn't nearly as bad as it was, um, with the, you know, withdrawals and the amount I was consuming, but it was getting to the point where people were noticing and my ex-girlfriend, she said, you need to go back to treatment or we're done. And so that at that point, you know, I didn't want to be done, but I knew I needed to be sober, but I wasn't ready. And so I tried to, you know, make some friends in that facility at that time. Um, the first facility I went to, um, it was kind of like a dorm setting where there's, um, there was probably, I'd say 40 to 50 guys, maybe. And, um, every roommate or every room had two guys. And then there was two rooms that had three guys. And so it was more of a, I guess, um, regimented setting and, um, you know, get up, make your bed. You have to go eat at this time. You got to be in class at this time. You get free time at these hours and lights out at whatever time. And then the second place I went, um, I'm really glad that I went, um, cause it was just a house that they made the upstairs into the living quarters where each room had two guys in it and it was a maximum of six guys. So it was very small. Um, and they held class and the treatment, um, programming and all that stuff in the house. Um, and then we had it two times a day and by like three, four o'clock we were done. So then the rest of the evening we were free. Um, and for both of these, you couldn't leave, um, or anything like that. We would leave as a group to go do stuff like, um, you know, go to the park and walk around, get exercise and things like that, even though we had a yard and stuff like that. But um, I did end up making a friend while I was in there and um, he didn't live far from where I was living at the time. And I was like, you know, we'll hang out and we'll work on our trucks or vehicles and hang out and um he had gotten out, um, I want to say it was just before me or just after me. And I showed up and he had, a, he was drunk. And so I immediately, I was kind of un, uneasy and I didn't know what to do. And I was unprepared and um, I didn't know I was triggered and I was still learning how to recognize those feelings and the different emotions that go with it. And before I knew it, I was in the parking lot of a liquor store and cause I had left the situation, which was the good thing to do. But after that, I turned to my coping mechanism, which was drinking and I had a bottle in my hand. Um, and following that, it went to, you know, hiding it and 
saying, telling people, you know, I wasn't drinking and things like that. I mean, who knows how many people could smell it on me or tell or whatever. And um, ultimately it got me kicked out of where I was living. Um, and that's, I bounced to another buddy's house and couch surfed essentially. And um, just got, kept hopping around because I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't afford a place. And um, eventually um, that buddy that I was drinking with or that caught sparked the whole drinking um, the second time around, I ended up living with him for a while and two alcoholics living together um, does not bode well for anybody. Um, and at the time I was um, at the time we broke up my girlfriend at the time. And I, um, I was planning on getting a dog and um, if anybody knows me, that's the biggest and easiest way to become my friend or like bribe me or like, that's my soft spot is dogs and animals. And so I had finally, um, I was getting my own dog and, um, I was essentially living on my buddies, um, in his spare bedroom and I got a puppy and, um, I bounced around and ended up at my buddy's house. And, um, 2021, I got my first DWI and, um, I thought that would be a wake up call. It wasn't. And then, um, it caused more harm and issues, um, and relationship stress on everybody I knew. And, um, and then I, you know, like I said, kept bouncing around. And then for about a year, I um, slept in the basement of my friend's house that um, she lived with her dad. And I lived in their basement. And um, I kept drinking, I was able to maintain a job, even though I didn't have a license, a car. Um, you know, I didn't have any of that. But like, he didn't have me pay rent. So it's, i you know, I was drinking all the time and um, going out with friends and doing stuff like that and trying to date. And it just, I didn't really do anything for myself in that time besides, you know, um, raise my dog. And at the end of the day, um, like I had said, I didn't have a purpose before. Um, my dog really ultimately saved my life um because i was able to stay sober enough or not drink enough to where you know i couldn't afford dog food or um you know provide a a house for him and the things that he needed um and shortly after I moved out of my um, friend's house. I lived with a um, another friend for a very short while. And um, then went to my buddy's parents' house. And um, I, my drinking kept getting worse. And um, they, my buddy's parents sat me down and 
they said, you know, enough is enough and kind of gave me my final reality check and said, you know, you need to go back to treatment. Like you're not, you can't do this anymore. And, um, they wanted to, or they wanted me to get rid of my dog. And I said, no way. Like, I'm going to find a way to make it work. I'm going to find a place to go and I will check myself in and make sure my dog is in good hands and do whatever possible. And, um, I ended up doing that. Um, and I went to an inpatient place. Um, that was actually the same place that I went the second time, but this time I came in with a different mindset. Um, and the mindset of absorb as much knowledge as you can and be just a sponge and listen first and talk second. Um, and I learned a ton and I was able to get out of there. Um, and I was being patient because, um, the time of the year, um, here in Minnesota come wintertime in the colder months, there are a lot of places that fill up, um, and their beds and rooms get full due to the cold weather. Um, and so it's somewhere for someone to go um, to stay warm and get fed for people that are also struggling or homeless. And so I actually had to wait in inpatient for two months. I was there for 61 days or 64 days or something like that. So it was double the time that most people are there. Um, so I was just teaching myself to be patient. And, um, I ended up going to a different residential treatment center and where you could leave and, you know, you had more freedoms, but, um, it wasn't my first pick and I was on the waiting list for the place I wanted to go. And for some reason, you know, after I went there, I was just like uneasy. I had a gut feeling that it just wasn't where I was supposed to be. And, Two days after being there, I got a call saying that a bed opened up for me at the place I wanted to go. Do you want it? And I said, yes. And we, you know, got all the paperwork and, you know, the medical insurance and all this other stuff lined up. And I transferred out of there and went to the place um, that I went to. And that was an experience that changed my life. It was the staff was awesome. The people that were just at the facility. And I literally, it was like a mini college campus, essentially. Um, it wasn't big by any means, but it was, you know, there was, I want to say four buildings. Um, like there was the main building that was where programming was held and where all the offices for the counselors and, um, people that were working um, were at. And then there was the building where, you know, you would eat or get your meals and people that um, lived on the top floor. And then there was another building that was like a giant mansion. And that's what they called it was the mansion. And um, it was um, kind of like a hotel type vibe where, you know, there's two guys to every room. And it was a shared bathroom. So actually, it was more like a dorm. Um, and then the building that I was in was, you know, still two guys to every room. But it was a lot smaller, a lot quieter. And um, we had um, 
two ba- two bathrooms and um it was just an overall better experience um and while i was in there uh i met my fiance um and she's in recovery as well and um things just continued to get better as I got, you know, more and more time under my belt, um, and lived a life of recovery. Um, I'm just shy of a year and a half, um, now and, um, Congratulations. thank you. And, um, my life has made 180 degree turn. Um, I got a new home. I got a new truck. I am going to be coming a stepdad. Um, it was just awesome. And, I got a lovely fiance and um, I got an awesome job. That's just, there's, um, I mean, I'm just forever grateful. That's great, man. You've come a long way. It sounds like. Yeah. So tell me about how life, um, what's your future? You think, what, what do you foresee for your future? Um, just maintaining my sobriety and recovery um, and just using that as ammunition to keep myself sober is, you know, um, all the hard work that I've done. And, you know, it's, I look at it as the problems that I have now, um, if I was drinking, it would be a hundred times worse and that like how I would deal with problems then versus now and the problems I would have that you know they would compound themselves if I was drinking um so I just use that as a reminder and that you know I have almost a, a year and a half and so all that time um is it worth to throw away for you know a little while while I feel a little intoxicated, you know, I don't think it's worth it anymore. Um, it's just, I look back at how much havoc is and destruction it's caused and it's just, it's not worth it. Um, so I just plan on staying sober. Um, you know, I want to be the best dad that I can, the best husband I can be. Um, and, you know, just continue to work on myself because I'm not perfect by any means. Um, there's still things that I deal with and, um, you know, it's, you know, not necessarily normal stuff, but it's a lot less than what I was dealing with. Um, but I go to, so I, I still attend an AA meeting every once in a while. Um, but the group that I go to is called Celebrate Recovery. And it's all across the country, but, um, there's a handful of them right here in Minnesota and it's a Christian based group, um, where it ties in your faith with your recovery. And, and it's not, you know, specifically for alcoholism or, um, drug abuse or, you know, um, it's not like NAAA or, you know, all the different subgroups that they have, um, and it's not for everybody, but it's helped me and changed my life. Um, 
and it's the people that I met there are amazing. And so I continue to go to those and I plan on continuing to go. That's great, my friend. I'm happy for you. Like I said before, it sounds like you've come a long way. You got a long journey. But all that matters is you're out on the other side of that tunnel. You're doing good. Right. And it's... So, yeah, go ahead. No, you go first. I was just going to say, it's definitely a scary road, um, but it can be done. I'm living proof of it. Yeah. So did you want to throw anything else in before we go? Um, I just my advice to anybody that watches this or listens to it is um, as much as it is, it seems to be humiliating to ask for help. Um, You have to want it and it's okay to ask for help because it is so much larger than yourself. And um, if you ask for help, there's people out there that want to help you. And um they want to see you succeed. And ultimately it comes down to, I'm sure people have heard it many, many times, but it's one day at a time. And even if you have to one minute at a time, but um, like I said, I'm living proof of it. Um, but yeah. And it, just ask for help and be about it. If you're going to do it. That's That's all I got. All right, my friend, like I said before, I think this has been a great interview. And my last thing is, I want to thank you for doing this today. It means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my friend, hang tight for a minute. And for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok. You name it, we're on it. Also, check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature there available. So I really hope you enjoyed today and until next time.